Oh my gosh, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Mm-hmm. Our pre-show announcements. Woohoo! First, let me take a quick moment to tell you about my next live stand-up comedy performances. I'm going to be in Colorado Springs at 3E's Comedy Club on July 21st and 22nd. Again, that's 3E's Comedy Club in Colorado Springs, July 21st and 22nd. We've got a bunch of live shows to tell you about in a moment, but first, a little update on our listener tournament for 2023. For those of you who are eligible to register for the tournament, a whole bunch of you did, and we really appreciate it. Registration is now closed. We did send an email out to everyone who had registered, whose email that we have. Uh, so if you did not receive an email this week from us and you did register for the tournament, please contact Stacy. S-T-A-C-E-Y at MaximumFun.org and let her know that and uh, we'll investigate and make sure you get connected. We're going to have a lot of fun with this year's tournament and of course the winners get to appear as guests on the show. All right, Helen, how about those live show announcements? First up, on Saturday, August 12th at 7 p.m. at LAist's Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena with our scheduled guests, Ego Wodem from Saturday Night Live and Alex Borstein from The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Family Guy. Yep, then next on Sunday, August 20th at 7 p.m. at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. And again on Sunday, September 10th at 7 p.m. at the Center for Inquiry West in Los Angeles. And finally, we're back on Sunday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. at LAS Crawford Family Forum in Pasadena. Guests for these shows will be announced as the dates approach. But we can announce our guests for a special episode on Friday, October 6th at 7 p.m. at Barnes & Noble at The Grove in Los Angeles. That's a bookstore. (laughs) An actual real-life brick-and-mortar bookstore. To promote their new book, The History of Sketch Comedy, our guests will be authors Keegan-Michael Key and L. Key. I know! So cool! Yeah! You can buy a book and a ticket from the link at our website, gofactorpod.com, which is also where you can find guest and ticket info to all of our upcoming shows. All right, now for the episode you're about to hear, Helen was unavailable. We'll explain why in a future episode. But we had a great substitute, Nicole Thurman. As you'll hear, we had some technical issues with Nicole's audio, so you'll hear the quality go in and out sometimes. Sorry about that. And really, I'm sorry I couldn't be there. But now, take it away, Nicole! Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Nicole Thurman in for Helen Hong, and now recording remotely from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jay Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Nicole. Wonderful to see you again. You too. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. You were kind enough to be a guest on a previous episode, and we had such a great time with you that uh, when we found out that Helen was unavailable today, uh, you popped into my head and you were uh, kind enough to join us as our uh, co-host today. Yes, and I really appreciate it. I had so much fun doing this pod as a guest, so being a co-host, just, it's an honor. I'm glad to be here. Oh, that's very sweet. Well, uh, the last time you were on the show, it was one of the first appearances that you had made after uh, a big change that happened in your life. We didn't get a chance to talk about it then. Let's talk about it a little bit now. Tell the people what had happened. So in February, I got in a really bad car accident. I was hit by a very large flatbed truck, T-boned. Car was totaled. Um, I broke my clavicle, but the big news <gasps> yeah. was that I broke my back. 
compressed some nerves, did some damage, just did a lot of damage. And I ended up having to get surgery, emergency surgery on it. Wow. So yeah, it was a crazy experience. It was very painful. I was in the hospital for two weeks. And now I feel like I'm pretty much back to fighting form, which is great. I'm like working out and just like keeping busy and, you know, doing the things I used to do. But it was, I mean, it was no joke. <laughs> well, first of all, the fact that you said you broke your clavicle and that wasn't the big news. It, was, it wasn't that. I know. Uh, I was building up to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I sometimes have these perverse fantasies of like, oh, if I were in the hospital, like who would come visit me and like who would show up for me and then who wouldn't? Uh, did you find that there were people who surprised you by how involved or not as involved you might have expected? Oh my God. Yeah. It's funny that you asked that actually, because I was going through this weird period right before the car wreck where I was like, nobody likes me. I don't have any friends in LA. It's such a hard city, which that's so true. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I realized that actually more people do like me than I thought. And I had so many friends coming by, so many friends offering to help, bringing me flowers. And then honestly, the biggest person that I was surprised by, but so thankful for was my ex-boyfriend. Oh, wow. Yeah. We had broken up just like two and a half months before I broke up with him. So like he had reason to be hurt, yeah. but I mean, it was coming anyway, <laughs> no, but it was, it was crazy. Cause it was literally like, I got in a wreck. My friend Lynn lives just down the street from me. So I called her and I was like, yo, I got in a wreck. Can you help me with the dog? Cause I think I'm going to actually have to have surgery. And as soon as she got to the hospital, I had her call my mom and my ex. He was there immediately. Oh, wow. He was helping me throughout the whole process. He kept visiting me. He helped me set my whole apartment up for when I came home. It was like we had a pretty nasty breakup. And so that was just like a really lovely way to get closure. <laughs> like, who knew? It took breaking your back to get some closure with these men. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes with some guys, I hear. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we're happy that uh, you're on the mend and happy that you're joining us today. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they may not know. Know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Nicole, who is up first. Okay, so we've got a writer, consultant, media personality, and urban raconteur. It's George Hahn. Hello, George Hahn. Hello. Wonderful to have you here. The phrase urban raconteur, I believe, was given to you by the New York Times, which I think sounds like the most New York Times description of a, anyone that I can imagine. Imagine. Oh, when I read it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It is pretty great. What does that mean to you? Or how have you come to use that as, a, as I guess, sort of your brand? I guess it sort of became the brand as a sort of a storyteller, which is what I was doing on Instagram and a little bit on Twitter at the mm -hmm. time, which is how I fell onto the radar of the nice people at the New York Times. Well, the urban part usually has to do with your opinions about living in New York City. You seem to have kind of a love-hate relationship with it. Uh, at one point, you wrote a well-known piece about wanting to leave and then another well-known piece about wanting to come back. So uh, why did you initially leave and why did you want to come back? New York City and I are like Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Like, <laughs> we, which which one are know, you? I'm definitely Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> of course, of course. New York City, my relationship with New York is like a marriage, you mm -hmm. know? And at that time, back in 2016, I had written that piece. It was called, Is It Time to Leave New York? I remember it well. And I had kind of hit a wall with the city for mm -hmm. personal and professional and financial reasons. And I was feeling maxed out. And I went back home to my hometown of Cleveland and found myself missing New York very quickly. Mm looked for the soonest opportunity to return and I took it when it arrived and it's now I'm in this honeymoon period I came back just in time for the pandemic and I was still very much in love with the city and having been away it puts different lenses 
on my eyes. I mm. see it differently than I did back in 2016. And much, I would say, from a place of gratitude. That's lovely. I see Nicole nodding along as well. I was, because, yeah, I, I, I had left New York enough times and had the same feelings. And also, I just saw a tweet recently that said something like, nobody loves New York like people who have left New York. <laughs> it's true. A thousand percent. About it. Yeah, something about it. It's just like you, you don't realize how much you love it until you're going away. <laughs> I get dozens of messages and comments on my social media channels from people who say, some remix of this sentiment, which is, oh, God, I miss the city. God, I love, had so much t- fun when I lived there. God, I got to get back there. I get that all the time. I love it, too, as well. You recently got a new gig as a contributor for something called Airmail. Tell us about that. What a privilege this has been. I Airmail was started by Graydon Carter, who was the longtime sure. editor-in-chief editor of Vanity Fair and co-creator of the much-missed Spy magazine. Mm. It's kind of like his digital Vanity Fair. And to be invited to contribute to that is a real gift. I contribute a piece as of right now monthly about living in the city, about uh, men's style. I've written about grooming in my articles so far, manners and decorum and whatnot, and city living. It's a blast. I love it. Very cool. Well, speaking of style, you do a lot of writing and thinking about men's fashion. Uh, I obviously do not. What are some of maybe the small changes that someone who wants to have a better look and can do that gets them big results right away? I would say two things that I would get as a man looking to sort of up his game mm-hmm. and get out of get out of the stretchy sneakery things would be to get a jacket like a blazer a blue one a navy one that fits well i'm literally writing Uh, this down dark blue navy jacket or blazer Mm -hmm. and also a pair of shoes that you can wear with either a suit or a good pair of jeans in my case that means a pair of wingtips that could be plain oxfords without any of the wingtip broguing on them Mm -hmm. but a nice pair of leather shoes black or very very dark brown there is this weird trend with men going with the light brown or tan leather Mm -hmm. avoid that the shoes should be as dark as your pants very good tip uh and where do you stand on the men wearing sneakers with suits you better be under 25 okay that answers that for me uh last thing i want to ask you about in addition to all of the writing and consulting that you've done uh you actually have done some acting and uh, you were on sex in the city and i believe you have the greatest credit in the history of the internet movie database do you recall what your credit is on sex in the city the final credit is great looking guy very very nice what what was what was that audition like for being great looking guy that summer i remember going into read Uh, at Silver Cup Studio out in Long Island City, Queens, like three times. That was the third time, I think. And I was tired. I thought like, ugh, these people don't want me. I'm not going to get hired. And that day, that audition for that role, I don't want to say I was in a bad mood, but I was just sort of (laughs) not into it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting hired, which really surprised me. I didn't see it coming. Very cool. There's something about when you're over it and you just don't care. That's when it works out. Totally. And also, it was a real rush to be cast in a show of which I was also a very big fan. Very great. Well, it's a kick to have you joining us today. George Hahn, everybody. Thank you. All right, Nicole, against whom will George be competing? She's a Washington Post columnist and author whose latest book, Alexandra P. Tries U.S. History, Important American Documents I Made Up, is available now. It's Alexandra P. Try. 
Hello, Alexandra. Hi. So wonderful to meet you. Uh, in addition to that book and the columns, you also are the author of a book, Nothing Is Wrong and Here Is Why, which was a Thurber Prize finalist, and you've written for such outlets as McSqueenies and The New Yorker. And I was curious to read, with all of the prolific writing you've done at The Washington Post, you actually started there as an intern. Yes. Back in the day, I was an intern for the opinion section, or the like editorial specifically. Mm-hmm. So I got to write a lot of like unsigned things about, is it good to have a stop sign here? And <laughs> One thing I learned over the course of that summer is I have a very unprofessional outgoing voicemail, which I forget about because it's outgoing. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> is it too so outgoing? I, I never, is that the issue? <laughs> it was too outgoing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, precisely. But like people call me and they hear me going like it's really like Seinfeld level, like a very bad mistake type outgoing voicemail where I'm singing. Oh. I'm like, leave a message, <laughs> leave a message. Like, you've reached out Alexandra Petri's phone. It's it's that bad. Yeah. So people would call about like an important policy issue that I had been reaching out to them for, you know, on background and they'd get this extreme, excruciating voicemail and they'd be like, ah, yeah, uh, hello, I'm calling back from the important policy question mark. So anyway, eventually I found my level as a humor columnist. <laughs> you were able to channel channel that into the column. That's great. This book called Alexandra Petri's U.S. History, Important American Documents, parenthesis, I made up. Now I understand that this book was inspired by another book. Yeah, like Rush Limbaugh wrote a series of self-insert historical fan fiction that I don't think enough people know about it, or maybe too many people know about it. Somewhere between those two things, I think, lies the truth of this. Yeah. But it's just like, what if everything that happened in history was because a time-traveling history teacher named Rush Revere went back in time and told the people involved that it ought to happen? Mm. And like, and also he has a talking horse named Liberty. They have like weirdly sensual encounters where he's like, I would never try to tame you, Liberty. Oh, it would boy. be like trying to tame 100 wild horses using nothing but a whistle. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay, all right. Um, <laughs> if that's the but, standard, I think uh, I think I can see my place there. Why does he get to make up history? I want to make up some history. <laughs> but hopefully it won't get picked up in Florida as a textbook or something. So tell us about how the characters from Sesame Street got involved in your version of history. Oh, yes, the very special Sesame Street D-Day episode. Well, because I, when I think of letter-themed episodes, mm-hmm. I, I think of Sesame Street. Now, in history, what more letter-themed episode is there than D-Day? Of course. Uh, so... Anyway, I, w- I was just doing the audio for that because I just recorded the audio book. Yeah. And it really tested the limits of my ability to do vocal impressions. I'm like, I think the audience <laughs> deserves a Muppet impression. I erroneously believe about myself that I'm somebody who could do a good Grover impression. And I know it's not true, but that hasn't stopped me from being like... Do you want to give us a little? We, we can tell uh, you. Monster at the end of this book. Uh, oh, turn the page. No, I you mean, turned another page. I, that, That's I, I, really I, great. Yeah, That's amazing. I feel like I'm talking that to was Rover. actually really good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, for, for real? I can't hear myself. <laughs> but the, the baby doesn't know what Grover sounds like, so she's just like, Mama's doing something really weird when she reads this book to me. <laughs> this, of course, is a trivia competition show, and uh, this is not the first trivia competition show on which you have appeared. Tell us about your experience being on Jeopardy. I will preface this by saying, on your bio, you say it was the worst final Jeopardy wager of all time. I think you're being way too hard on yourself. But tell the people why you feel that way and what happened. It was in 2006. I had just graduated from high school. I was about to hit college, and so I I was 18, so I was able to audition for Adult Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And they were like, I guess you are an adult. Um, and I'm also, I'm kind of glad I went on that early because that's the most I will ever know about the subjects covered in AP chemistry. Like I've just been getting farther and farther away from chemistry it, as my it's life It's being replaced by <laughs> Yeah, it's like fun facts. Like, yeah, how to, how to pay rent and stuff like that. So the two people ahead of me were tied 
And in that situation, what I should have bet was nothing, mm. I, I've been told, instead of betting all of it, which I think is what I did. And I also got it very wrong. I wrote in, who is that dude? Which I thought was correct, but was not specific. It was enough, not specific was enough, told. yes. Well, just to give yourself a break, I, I was uh, researching this, and uh, it turns out the other two people both got it right and you got it wrong, so the wager wouldn't have mattered anyway. No, it's true, it's true. <laughs> but what if they hadn't? Got it's it. That's what keeps yeah. you up at night, I understand. Love to stay up at night, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we appreciate your staying up with us today. Alexandra Petroy, everyone. George and Alexandra, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. George, you said you know and love mid-century modern design, various methods of making coffee, and the Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. Whereas Alexandra, you said you know and love the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, NBC's hit with a question mark 23 to 2015 show Hannibal, and Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect or incomplete answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, wedding band. First up is George. George, while both might be seen around a married person's finger, what's the difference between a wedding band and a wedding ring? A wedding band and a wedding ring. I would say a wedding band is just the metal, usually gold, without any jewelry. Whereas the ring would have those stones or gems. It would have a gemstone, sure. That's my guess. All right, we've got George's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Alexandra, if you don't think he's got it exactly right, you can steal anything you want to change or add. I'm going to say the the wedding band... I'm going yeah, I'm gonna let gender once again be a prison for all of us and say that it's for men. But <laughs> okay, I think that's wrong. All right. Well, it's nice to be back in prison talking about jewelry. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, this segment needs to be left at the altar. Let's go to Nicole Thurman at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. A wedding band is traditionally a plain band of gold or other metal. A wedding ring is one that has stones or other designs in it, but also, whichever type you use, in North America we call it a band, whereas most of the rest of the English-speaking world calls it a ring. That's right. Now, band also has a dual meaning because it's a word, though a bit archaic now, for something that legally binds things together. There's actually a 14th century poem which says, wedding is the hardest band that any man may take on hand, and a 21st century poem which says, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. Nicole, how did our (laughs) guests do? (laughs) Oh, they both did fantastic. Uh, George, you nailed the part about the materials. It's metal, it's a plain band. So I'm going to give you one point for that because we didn't get the usage of it. Uh, Alexandra, you said a wedding band is for men and a ring goes on your hand. So I'm, I'm going to say we're going to give you no points for that one. So no points George for that. George has one, Alex has zero. Yes. Very nicely done. All right. Up next in wedding band is Alexandra. Alexandra, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Nicole? Well, I'm going to let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactorpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, let's play it. Hey, everyone. This is Ian Morrison from Denver. My question for what's the difference is, while they both might be a band that plays at your wedding, what's the difference between a cover band and a tribute band? Good luck and good quizzing. Thank you so much, Ian. By the way, you can hear more of Ian in our special mini episode that we recorded with two of our listeners who supported us in the Max Fund Drive. That's available right now in our bonus content feed. 
All right, Alexandra, you heard in, but what is the difference between a cover band and a tribute band? Well, I think a cover band plays the music of a variety of different artists and they do it in, in like their own style. Um, and a tribute band does a specific uh, artist and they are really, I think, in as close to their style as possible. But yeah, uh, hopefully this is right because my cu- husband is obsessed with covers. So uh, if you hear it like, Someone yelling, no, in the background. That's probably the sound <laughs> that, that's not, it's wrong. That's not the baby. Okay. All right. We've got Alexandra's answer. We don't know yet if she's entirely correct. George, anything you want to change or add? For the most part, I agree with Alexandra. A cover band is a band that covers song that performs songs that are not theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a tribute band is a band that copies an existing band in musical, in the sound, covers the songs. And even maybe even the costume or like stagecraft style. All right. Well, this segment isn't playing an encore. Let's go to Nicole Thurman at the judges table for the facts. Hello. Okay. Here are the facts. A cover band plays songs that have been made popular by a variety of artists and groups. A tribute band plays songs from a single artist, group, or genre and often imitates the original performer's sound and appearance. That's right. Now, some tribute bands have a theme within their theme, like the two Kiss tribute bands made up of little people called Mini Kiss and Tiny Kiss. I did not make that up. And of course, some offer some great punny names like the Oasis tribute bands Oasis and Oasisn't. But since I'm not a fan of that music, that would be a wasted on me. Nicole, how did our guest do? <laughs> so Alexandra got that. Cover bands play music from a variety of artists. Hmm. And she said the tribute bands is a specific artist in that band style. George added that uh, they often try to imitate the style of the band as in like clothing or costumes and sound. Okay, so I'm going to give Alexandra one and a half points and George a half a point. All right, and what is our score at the end of that round? So the scores at the end of that round are George one and a half points and Alexandra also one and a half points. A very close game, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, new sponsor alert, new sponsor alert. I know, and it's a good one. They're all good, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) But this one sent us a product that I have started using right away and has already made an incredible difference in my life. It is... Miracle Made. Miracle Made Sheets. Now, Helen, I have had sleep issues uh, for a long time in my life, and I never considered that one of the things I ought to change is my sheets. And it turns out that the temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on people's sleep quality, and the temperature can be regulated by the sheets that you use. Well, inspired by NASA, yes, the NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. I know these sheets are infused with silver, the actual silver, the metal, that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leading them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. I know someone in my household who would especially appreciate that. You know, Miracle Made sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five star hotels. And we each were sent some sheets, Shaky. And I must say, I pulled them out of the box and I was like, oh my goodness, these are so soft. Yeah, they're very soft. And the cooling feature really helps. You know, we're in the middle of a heat wave, at least here in Southern California, and uh, it made a difference right away. You notice it right out of the package. Hey, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash go fact. And if you order today, you can save 
this can't be right. Over 40%? Yeah. And if you use our promo, GoFact at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Helen, that's so many percents. So many percents. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash gofact and use the code gofact at checkout. Treat yourself to a free towel set and over 40% off. And that's why we say, thank Thank you, Miracle Miracle Made. Hey, Sydney, you're a physician and the co-host of Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine, right? That's true, Justin. Is it true that our medical history podcast is just as good as a visit to your primary care physician? No, Justin, that is absolutely not true. Uh, However, our podcast is funny and interesting and a great way to learn about the medical misdeeds of the past, as well as some current not so legit healthcare fads. So you're saying that by listening to our podcast, people will feel better. Sure. And isn't that the same reason that you go to the doctor? Well, uh, you could say that. And our podcast is free? Yes, it is free. You heard it here first, folks. Sawbones, Meryl Tour of Misguided Medicine right here on Maximum Fun. Just as good as going to the doctor. No, no, no. Still not just as good as going to the doctor, but but pretty good. It's up there. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, George Hahn and Alexander Petri. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Nicole. All right, George, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love mid-century modern design, various methods of making coffee, and the Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you know and love mid-century modern design. It's eternally sexy. I have books on this. Every time I pass a window or see a photo where there is mid-century, whether it's a chair, an appliance, or a house or a building, I'm immediately attracted to it. I don't know why. Mad Men was porn to me. (laughs) It's always just been very beautiful, and it always works. Have you been fortunate enough to have any mid-century modern uh, furniture or uh, accessories in your home? I'm sitting in one right now. I'm sitting in a chair by Charles and Ray Eames. My desk is a George Nelson knockoff. And, uh, yeah, I have a few things. Very cool. All right, uh, next, tell us why you know and love various methods of making coffee. I've always loved coffee, and then a little over two decades ago, I stopped drinking, so I was no longer allowed to, or no really, wasn't really able to be a snob about alcohol anymore. (laughs) So coffee was the thing I became a snob about. (laughs) And it's the first thing I have in the morning. I will have a cup. Maybe after we're done recording, because I call it my afternoon, my PM pick me up. And tell us about the methods that you've used and that you. Enjoy. I've used everyone under the sun. When I was in college, I had a single cup at a time coffee maker with a nylon filter from Black and Decker. Every day now, for the past, I would say ten or twelve years, has been a Chemex. Mm. I might also add that I think a Chemex is very mid-century modern design in the way it's a like thousand very sleek, percent. Yeah, right. It's yeah. It's part of the design collection at MoMA. Oh, look at that. All right. Well, let's see if we can tie this one in. You also said that you know and love the James Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. I remember the first time my dad brought home a Betamax tape of, it might have been Thunderball, Mm -hmm. which was Connery's fourth. And I was like, wait a minute, what's this? Mm. Because it was a little different. It was a a different tone. And it had that mid-century world. Uh-huh. And it was it was bright, it was colorful, it was sexy, his clothes looked amazing. What wasn't to love? And then Daniel Craig, 
after years of, I think, the wheels kind of coming off the franchise, it was getting a little <laughs> wonky and over the top. But Daniel Craig came along, and this is in the wake of the the you know the Jason Bourne movies, and clearly when they rebooted the franchise with him and Casino Royale, that was on their mind. Mm. So the the punches looked like they hurt. The stakes were high, and there were there were emotional stakes. And uh, Daniel is not just a great action performer, but he's a good actor. Mm. I think he's a really good actor and brought a brought a real emotional gravity to the character that. No one had ever seen before. I certainly wasn't expecting it. So, All right. Well, to summarize, George, you said that you know and love mid-century modern design, various methods of making coffee, and Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. Today, we want to quiz you about Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig. Right. Do you have thoughts on uh, who you might want to see play him next? I don't think anything's been announced at this point, but there have been rumors. Richard okay. Madden. He would be good. Richard, I think Richard Madden would be great. He's super handsome, like ridiculously off the chart, like Ken Doll handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the he did that series Guardian, and then he just did one for Amazon Prime called Citadel. And he's I, Citadel almost feels like a screen test for Bond. <laughs> Awesome. Well, we'll see if uh, your choice ends up being the one. In the meantime, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with an expert level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, George, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Alexandra, do listen closely because if George answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Alexandra, how much do you know about the Bond films of Sean Connery and Daniel Craig? I was really hoping it would be the Bond films of Pierce Brosnan, but yeah, I, the Daniel Craig ones, I feel like I'm, I've seen them, except for the Quantum one. Okay, well, we'll see if that uh, we'll see if that's the one that comes up. They wrote it. They did it under pressure. It was a writer's strike. What are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? All right, well, we're going to play our quiz. All right, let's see if uh, George gives you a chance to come in, Alexandra. George, here is question number one. For the opening ceremonies of the 2012 Summer Olympics, an 86-year-old woman who loves corgis greeted Daniel Craig with Good Evening, Mr. Bond, before parachuting from a helicopter with him into the Olympic Stadium. Who was this unlikely Bond girl? Queen Elizabeth. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, Queen Elizabeth II was the monarch during the entire James Bond era, from the very first book to the most recent movie. Here's question number two. In the 12 titles of the Connery and Craig Bond films, you will find only one word that appears more than once, one in a Connery movie and one in a Craig. What is that word? Quantum of Solace. No. Skyfall. No. Spectre. No. No. It would have to be from No Time to Die. And I'm trying to think of a Connery one that's got that word, one of those words, uh, 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 you only live twice. George being very thorough in his I'm, deliberation. No, we love it. It's coming from No Time to Die. That's the okay. Craig one. Okay. Um, and Connery, there's no die in any of his titles. No, Dr. No. No Time to Die and Dr. No. Yeah. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct. Wow. Yes, it is no. Very nice. Fun fact, in the entire Bond canon, the word die or dies appear in four different titles. All right, George, you're two for two. Here's question number three. James Bond loves his gadgets, and in From Russia with Love, Connery's Bond receives from Q a briefcase with many handy items hidden inside. But which of the following is not in that briefcase? Is it a folding sniper rifle, a throwing knife, a spy camera, 50 gold coins, or a tear gas canister disguised as a can of talcum powder? The rifle. There's no rifle in the case. 
Nicole? That is incorrect. No, I'm what? terribly sorry. Oh, there really oh, is. Yes, sorry. a folding. Yeah, no, there really is a folding sniper rifle. That means Alexandra a chance to steal. <gasps> uh, I, I'm going to go with the coins. Nicole? Also incorrect. <laughs> no, there are 50 gold sovereigns, as they call them then. No, believe it or not, there is not a spy camera. There was no spy camera in that briefcase. Oh, uh, good one. That's great. Uh, no point for either of you. Uh, fun fact, that briefcase was made by a company called Swain, who sells the same case on its website for 3,200 British pounds, about $4,000, deadly weapons not included. All right. <laughs> let's see if you can bounce back with question number four. One iconic aspect of any James Bond film is its theme song. Bond themes have received seven Oscar nominations for Best Song, and songs from Connery or Craig films have won three times. Name two of those three Oscar-winning songs. I'm going to name two, right? So yes. I'm st Skyfall for sure. Mm -hmm. Can I have a hint? Yes, Nicole, how about that first hint? Okay. Because two of the titles of the songs are also titles of the films, and you only need to think of Daniel Craig's Bond films because no Connery Bond films have ever been nominated. Titles of the Daniel Craig films. Skyfall and No Time to Die. Nicole? That is correct. Excellent use so of the good. hint. Very good. Uh, the other is from Spectre called Writings on the Wall. Fun fact, the first Bond theme to be nominated was from the 1967 Bond spoof film Casino Royale starring David Niven. That song, The Look of Love, lost the Oscar to If I Could Talk to the Animals from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> I love how on the nose that is as a name for a song from Dr. Doolittle. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, here's question number five. You do still have your second hint available. Bond's frequent CIA liaison, Felix Leiter, has been portrayed by six different actors in the Connery and Craig films. In the character's final appearance, so far, in 2021's No Time to Die, we learn that Felix is from what U.S. city? I know this, and it was in the boat when, he was, when it was going down. I would like a hint. Nicole, how about that second hint? Your hint is, according to the ad slogan, Schlitz made this city famous. Milwaukee. Nicole? <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. <laughs> and an excellent opportunity to say Schlitz on our podcast. Oh, fabulous. Fun fact, in all the Bond films, Felix Leiter has been played by nine different actors. The first was by future Hawaii Five-O star Jack Lord, who apparently wanted full matched billing if he were to come back in the movie. Uh, the most recent, of course, was by Tony and Emmy winner Jeffrey Wright, who played him in the most films, three. All right, George, you did quite well in that category, but now here is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <sighs> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. George, the first Bond movie of the Daniel Craig era, Casino Royale, opens with an exciting action scene, but then moves on to something even more exciting, Daniel Craig's first so-called Bond girl, Solange Dimitrios, played by Katarina Marino. For up to three points, what activity is Solange doing on the beach when Bond first sees her? In what country do they have a fling? And, spoiler alert, in what type of object is her body discovered after she is killed? Uh, the first one is she's riding a horse. Okay. Can I answer the third one? Yep, absolutely. Well, the third one, she's, oh my gosh, she's in one of those things that you attach one end to one tree trunk <laughs> and the other one to the other, and I'm blanking on what these freaking <laughs> things are called. <laughs> a hammock. She's in a hammock. Okay. Um, and, and now we're just looking for the country where that uh, right. where that action took place. I'm, I'm going to get, this is going to be wrong, but um, Nassau? 
All right, Nicole is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Nicole, who do we have tonight? Ooh, joining us tonight is a Golden Globe winning international film star who played the first Bond girl of the Daniel Craig era. It's Katerina <gasps> Marino! Oh my Hello, everyone. Hello. An audible gasp from George Hahn. Oh my God. George, what's going on with you? I'm just, I'm verklempt. <laughs> Hello, darling. You're just as gorgeous now in front of me. This is amazing. Hello, you. Everything's fine? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Everything's so good now. It is. Katerina, what an absolute joy to welcome you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much. It's very funny. I'm following you more than like 45 minutes, and it's very, very interesting. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. We'll talk about your work in uh, Casino Royale in a moment, but uh, my gosh, you have a lot of exciting things happening. It was just announced in the trades here that you were going to have a very special role at the upcoming Venice Film Festival. I would be the godmother. The godmother, okay. Yeah. So I'd be the first to to walk on the on the red carpet, and I have no idea what I have to really do. I have to do, yes. you know. We will see. We will see. But we'll see. Another another very compelling reason to come to the Venice Film Festival to see you. Thank you. Before you got the role in the Bond movie, it's probably not surprising, like a lot of other actors in Bond, that you were a model. But it might surprise some people that you actually uh, had performed Shakespeare on stage. Yeah, I was born in the theater, so there was yeah. uh, there was a question as like, all the people keep asking me. So after after the the, the role in Casino Royale, you know, mm-hmm. your career is over. Oh. And I said, but you no, know, I was already, you know, I was already an actress. So this probably can help me to be more international. But mm. they can't stop my career because my career exists before. And like yeah. you said, I start in the theater on stage. So that's why, you know, I think that the Daniel Craig era makes make our career a little bit different. To echo what Katerina was saying, with Daniel's tenure brought a much different tone. And there was sort of a, quote unquote, like a, a Bond girl curse mm-hmm. where, you know, because the characters, there was misogyny. Let's not deny it. Like, you know, you watch Goldfinger and there's an ass slap and like, go let the boys talk. Because you're like, oh, my God, really? Mm. But that's I mean, they were these disposable characters, um, a lot of them. And Katarina, actually, you were the first woman in the bon- in the Daniel Craig tenure. And, you know, although your character gets killed relatively soon, when she died, I cared. It bothered me. Mm. You know, when Severine in Skyfall died. It really bothered me. It never, I never had that, you know, one wasn't used to that. Like you and said, the, because and, I, I believe that, you know, they really give us a role. There was mm, something yes. to, to fight for. Also for my true sins, you know, these women that, you know, with this woman that fall in love, we always with bad guys. And, and, you know, there's something that you, like you said, you, you have feelings for, for this person, also for true mm-hmm. sins. And I think that it was the quality of the of the script. So that's mm. why I think they're also the image of the Bond girls. It's not like slap on the ass and you know you can go. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't just modeling. They were they was looking for beautiful women around the world, but they can act. Well, Katarina, you look so great and healthy and vibrant in the movie, but I understand that when you first started getting ready for the role, it wasn't quite the case. So the story is that just the day before I did the casting, I, I fell off from the horse and I had a huge accident. 
we spend all the day on in hospital. And I call my agent and say, you know, forget it, I'm not going. So the day after, I was in Rome and my mother came from Sardinia. I was completely paralyzed. I can just see the ceiling of my apartment. And she said, okay, you're okay, you're fine. And at 10 o'clock in the morning, I said, you know, this afternoon I should have the casting for Bond. And then I say, okay, we go. And I say, no, I can't. You know, I was unable to walk. I was wow. unable to speak. I was unable to do anything. And say, okay, okay, I wash you up and, you know, we can go. So she, I was thinking to go with nice heels, nice dress and everything <laughs> as a Bond girl. Sure. And she just put in, you know, leggings and, you know, tennis shoes and say, okay, we can go. And I arrive at the casting completely paralyzed. And I just sit down and I will sit like that. And I just cannot able to move my mouth and my eyes. I set the line. I have no idea what what I did. So yes. and I left, you know, so okay, okay, I'm going. Bye. Thank you. And I was almost arrived at the door and the casting director, she saw me, Katrina, and I turned so slowly and I said, can you ride the horse? <gasps> For me, it was a joke at the moment because, of course, I have no idea that this, about the script. So a month later, I, you know, the doctors put him back, my, my back and everything. And, and then I received their call back. And I went to, to London to do casting again and with Michael Wilson and Martin Campbell. They called me, that it was me, and they sent me the script. And I read that, you know, how many Bond movies, how many characters that never had been a horse. So the first contract, I already asked that, you know, if the horse was moving. <laughs> and then one very famous producer in, uh, in France told me, you know, you're going to be in the history. Mm. of cinema with that scene so you have to go back on horse and you have to be you doing everything so i won my fear and i went back on the horse a month later and you saw the scene <laughs> wow. wow that's wow. incredible I, I had no idea that your injuries had been that serious before i, I really appreciate your telling that i didn't mean to bring up a, a sore subject but that that's it's amazing you know there was and you know they can get how many actresses beautiful a good actress mm. ride the horse and they get the one who had an accident just the day before. <laughs> That's something that, you know, I always remember. Well, it speaks to what they saw in you bringing to the role. Absolutely. Right. Testament to your talent. Once you're in a Bond movie, you kind of become part of this Bond family and specifically part of the Broccoli family, the people who produced it. And uh, you actually re recently got to participate in an honor involving them. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I didn't know. And uh, so three days ago. I went to Carolei. Carolei is a small village in uh, Calabria. Calabria is their, the point of Italy, you know, they're, they're like, a, like a boots. So you mm -hmm. have the heel and the point here. And uh, Carolei uh, was born the grandfather of Barbara Michael. It's mm -hmm. mean the father of Cabi Broccoli. And the mayor uh, decided to, to give a place and a statue to Cabi Broccoli. So three days ago, all the broccoli family, everyone, like uh, son and uncle, uh, everyone that went there and they called me and uh, Giancarlo Giannini uh, mm -hmm. to, uh, to be uh, to be part of the family and, you know, celebrate this, uh, this amazing moment. And it was an amazing moment, a beautiful one. So you can understand what really the Bond family is. Yes, the Bond family bond. <laughs> I think Cubby would be very proud of his daughter. 
Yes, definitely. And his stepson. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And Michael. And yeah. Michael. They're, they're amazing. They're, mm-hmm. They did an amazing job. Well, uh, it's so wonderful to hear these incredible stories and connections that you've made. Let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the questions that we asked of George first. We wanted to know what activity is Solange doing on the beach when Bond first sees her? Nicole, what did George say? George said riding a horse. And Katerina? Yes, and it was me. <laughs> and it was actually you. Know, for sure. Not the stunt woman. It was me. <laughs> that was you overcoming great adversity to do so. All right, that is a point for George. Next, we want to know in what country did James Bond and Solange have their fling? Nicole, what did George say? George said Nassau. And and uh, Katarina, what are we going to do about that? Okay, Nassau. It's uh, Bahamas. Yes, Nassau is in the Bahamas, but uh, we were asking for the country. Uh, it's up to you, Katarina, as our expert, if you want to give him zero, a half, or a full point on that. For me, we were in Nassau. Mm-hmm. I know he's not the country, but, you know, that's not too wrong. Okay, would you like to give him the Great. point for that? Yes, of course. It is correct. Okay, very good. A full point for George. You know, Bahamas oh is more generical. He said yeah. really there was a place that he was more difficult to say, so... If it's possible, I'm loving Katerina more by the minute. <laughs> and then finally, we wanted to know in what type of object is Solange's body discovered after she is killed? Nicole, what did George say? George said a hammock. The thing between two trees. Katerina? <laughs> yes, definitely. That is a correct point for George. A perfect score in your cluster. Very nice, George. Mm-hmm. While we have Katerina here, George, anything you'd like to say or ask of her? I, I'm just, I can't believe I'm talking to you. You are, <laughs> but as we said, I think it's, it's and I hope that you get this i'm sure that you do that you are not just part of bond history but this is film history and i think when daniel's films i mean i think of his tenure as like a five film set self-contained um with the exception of judy dench she was the one carryover from um pierce brosnan's era but um daniel's set is like sort of very self-contained those five it's a narrative and um, you're a huge part of it. And it must be amazing to know that you're part of that Bond history. And it's also part of like a, a big part of film history. And I think it surprised all of us. It certainly surprised me when it premiered back in 06 that I was experiencing feelings I did not expect to feel in a Bond film. Mm-hmm. It took me to an emotional place, as I described earlier about uh, when your character met her untimely death that I felt something and you're not supposed to feel that or we're not trained or conditioned to feel that with a Bond film. And it took us there and you did it beautifully. And you got to ride in that DB5, that Aston Martin. (laughs) That Aston Martin DB5. It's so beautiful. Thank you so much. You know, when, uh, when they call me for Bond, I, I didn't, because Diane Craig was a, was a new one. Mm-hmm. was not very famous at the period. As you know, you mm-hmm. know, after Liar Cake, like you said before, and another actor you would love to see in Bond. Liar Cake was like a, a huge casting for, for him because it looks like Bond. So it's a great uh, movie. Yeah. I, I was not a very huge fan of Bond. So when I when they call me, I, I, I have to say that and Barbara knows that I didn't realize what happened to me. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that, you know, this was happening to me. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a movie. And I start you know, and after the movie, uh, because I started to shoot immediately after three weeks, the movie, the, the movie was movies was starting, the shooting. They sent me immediately around the world to make their the publicity, and I finished. 
So we started in January in 2006 and we finished in December. And uh, only after December, only after hours of press around the world, I cross all over the world, after their washing machine, as I call, mm -hmm. <laughs> I realized that I've been part of this kind of movie. I've been part of the history, mm. but not when I was in, you know, just 15 years after it was then I, I, and I said, you know, how lucky I am because mm. this happened to me. How many millions of beautiful actresses exist in the world? And this is the question is keeping saying, why you? Why? <laughs> how they get you, you know? And then happened to me when I make a terrible injury to my back. <laughs> and I went with no makeup and no dress. And when I did all the casting, I was always perfect and never works. So when it's meant to be, and that yeah. will have to happen in your life, it will happen. So is your advice it's... to young actresses, try to get injured before you go audition for the <laughs> biggest role of your life? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but you know, movies are something very magical. Absolutely. It's meant to be, it will happen. It was so inspiring because as an actress that also broke her back, it's just like so amazing to hear a story like that where you can go in and be injured and still get it. Like how she said, like when it comes and I get it, it's just very cool. It inspires me. <laughs> very, very cool. Yeah. What wow. a lovely message and what a lovely person. And it was lovely for you to join us. Katarina, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they do that? Oh, I'm, I'm shooting a movie, a very strange one, called The Opera, with an amazing opera director, with Vincent mm -hmm. Cassel, Fanny Ardant, Rossi de Palma, and it's very strange. And I'm the concierge of the inferi, the, of uh, Hotel Hades, you know, what is all the souls when they go to their, when they died, you know, they arrive to my hotel and I'm going to welcome them. Oh. Yes. And did you say you're working with Vincent Cassell? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I find I think he's captivating. It is. And his, fa his father was amazing, too. He was a great actor. Actually, oh, good, good for you. Yeah, and then I'm going to start on stage in September, too. So, and of course, it's going to be... Excellent. Well, congratulations on all of that. We look forward to whatever is next for you. Thank you so much for joining us. What a treat. Katarina Morino, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to all of you, and uh, have a lovely summer. And thank you so much for inviting me. All right, what is our score at the end of that round? Our score at the end of that round, George Hahn has eight and a half points, and Alexander Petra has one and a half points. With a round of questions for Alexandra coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Alexandra about a topic she knows about. Plus later, George and Alexandra will go head to head in our Fast Facts round to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Oh, Helen, it is time to talk about the original food tech company, Soylent. Soylent has so many different great products, whether you need a nutritional boost or if you're looking for a full-on meal replacement at any time of day or night. That's right. Soylent makes delicious and nutritious nutrition products in convenient formats. What kind of formats, Helen? For example, a ready-to-drink shake or powder, Soylent Complete Meal. There's also a delicious and balanced 100-calorie complete nutrition bar called Soylent Squared. A complete nutrition shake to fuel your body and mind called Soylent Complete Energy. Oh my gosh, and of course, their deliciously rich and creamy plant-based high-protein nutrition shake, Soylent Complete Protein. So many choices. Whichever one you choose, you're looking at complete, balanced nutrition made from U.S.-grown, sustainably sourced ingredients, making this good for you and good for the planet. I also hear they taste good, too. <laughs> hey, it did not take us very much time to tell people about Soylent today. And it doesn't take very much time to get a full nutritious meal replacement, 
especially after a long day, when you use Soylent. Hey, Helen, how can people get Soylent and support our little show? Go to Soylent.com slash GoFact and use code GoFact to get 20% off your first order. That's Soylent.com slash GoFact with code GoFact for 20% off your first order. Soylent, that's S-O-Y-L-E-N-T. I just got that because of the soy in Soylent. They know what they're doing. (laughs) And that's why we say, thank thank you, Soylent. Hi, I'm Alex Schmidt. And I'm Katie Golden. And we make Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, a podcast about why seemingly ordinary stuff is actually the title of the podcast. Using tons of research, we take a joyful look at history and science and stories. And jokes. About the ordinary stuff in your life, because that's what makes those things amazing. Also jokes. So get excited about paper clips. Get thrilled about pigeons. Get all psyched up and running around the room about the imperial system of weights and measurements. For real, there's whole episodes about this stuff. Hear them anytime and hear new episodes Mondays at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, George Hahn and Alexandra Petri. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you so much, Nicole. All right, Alexandra, of your many interests, you told us that you know and love the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, NBC's hit 2013 to 2015 show Hannibal, and Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you know and love the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. I remember seeing Jesus Christ Superstar on tour when I was sort of, not super wee, but like formatively wee. It, it is better than wee yeah, lee. I- or we, but we ish. I, I just saw it and it, that thing where something goes off in your brain and you're like, oh, I like this. This is great. And I feel like mm. I went to enough like regular church where I was like, oh, yes, this is also checking out. Like, this is exactly like the account of it in the book of like Matthew, Mark, mm. Luke and John. I love how it's like <laughs> both delightful musically and extremely dopey in the same way that like West Side Story where they're like, we're going to come up with slang our own new kind of slang and it'll never be dated. It's like, no, in fact, what will happen will be is instantly dated. So I love that. At every revival, <laughs> I've loved even more. I love when you do it as like a, you know, in, in the pandemic, my poor husband had to sit through me being like, I think this is the perfect time to watch every Jesus Christ superstar. Uh, so we saw the one with Ola Salo in Swedish, where he was like, I'm going to rewrite the book in Swedish. So it's like the, the lyrics are wittier. Anyway, I I very much enjoy it to the extent that it was one of the things I would say top three things that my husband complained about during the pandemic. (laughs) Uh, Almost got you a divorce, a pandemic divorce. (laughs) Next, tell us why you know and love NBC's hit 2013 to 2015 show Hannibal. I would say the number two thing that almost caused divorce during the pandemic was my love for NBC's (laughs) hit uh, show Hannibal. Because it's like it's a show about like a man who really loves to cook and also commutes around the D.C. Baltimore area. And that mm-hmm. spoke to me. I'm like, I've commuted <laughs> around the D.C. Baltimore area. Whenever I drive around, I'm like, I'm driving to Baltimore, just like on Hannibal. Also, it makes cooking look really possible. I kept being like, Steve, I've got to cook now. And he's like, because of Hannibal, you've got to cook? I don't think... I don't maybe. Yeah, that's not the recipe he had in mind. Mm-mm. But yeah. so instead, I'm like, I'll just learn all the piano music that they played on Hannibal. He's like, <laughs> again, this is creeping up the divorce chart. It says beautiful things about like being alive, and mm. it's also just a, a real fun watch. All right, and then finally, tell us why you chose and why you might get divorced over Alice Roosevelt Longworth. As somebody <laughs> around DC, you see a lot of Alice Roosevelt in places. They have 
her famous cushion that said, if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit by me, that she used to have. But she had the most fascinating life ever, and I've just been obsessed with her. She had her debutante ball in the White House. They called her Princess Alice. And she also was like married to the Speaker of the House, but had an affair with the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. I, I don't know. I just think she's a real trip. A lot of drama in each of your topics. To summarize, you said you know and love the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, NBC's hit 2013 to 2015 show Hannibal, and Alice Roosevelt Longworth. Today we're going to quiz you about Jesus Christ Superstar. Woohoo! Oh boy. You mentioned all the different versions that you've seen. Uh, do you have a favorite? You know, I really love the live one that happened in 2018, I think it was, mm-hmm. Easter 2018. I was a big fan of that with uh, John Legend and Brandon Victor Dixon. Very cool. And uh, do you have a favorite song that you perhaps sing around the house? Hosanna. It's up there. But all of them. All of them at once. All of them at once. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with our question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, Alexandra, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, George, do listen closely because if Alexandra answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, George, how much do you know about Jesus Christ Superstar? The musical expertise is that one gay gene I never got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know there was a guy named Jesus. Okay. That's I know good. that much. Good start. <laughs> yep, good start. We'll, we'll see if that helps you if Alexandra gives you a chance to steal. Here's question number one. While Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote Jesus Christ Superstar, another famous songwriter is credited with inspiring the show with his song, With God on Our Side. Who is this legendary songwriter better known for his G-dropping song titles, Blowing in the Wind and the Times They Are a-Changin'? Is that Bob Dylan? Nicole? That answer is correct. That is correct. Yes, it was Bob Dylan. Fun fact, according to the New York Times, the specific Bob Dylan line that inspired the version of Judas in the show is, you'll have to decide whether Judas Iscariot had God on his side. Here's question number two. Jesus Christ Superstar wasn't just a popular Broadway show. It was also a popular record with its original concept album reaching number one on the Billboard charts and even multiple hit singles, sometimes of the same song. What song from the show had two different recordings by female artists in the top 40 at the same time? I think it's got to be I Don't Know How to Love Him. Nicole? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Very good. Fun fact, Yvonne Elliman, who played Mary Magdalene on the concept album on Broadway and in the movie, had her version of the song reach number 28 in 1971. Helen Reddy had her first hit with the song reaching number 13, She Is Woman. Wow, rude. All right, here's question number three. You're two for two. In the show, the growing popularity of Jesus has the Pharisees worried. When they sing about it in This Jesus Must Die, they are not very complimentary about the followers of Jesus. But which of the following insults do they not use in describing these followers? Is it blockheads, idiots, rabble, fools, or half-witted fans? I know they use half-witted fans. Uh, His half-witted fans will get out of control. Oh, there's a riff, (laughs) which I cannot do. I think blockheads is in there. Uh, wait, what was the first one you said? Rabble? It they definitely blockhead. say rabble. Okay, blockheads, idiots, rabble, fools, or half-witted fans are the choices. I think uh, Caiaphas goes fools to the people he's singing with, but does he also call the crowd fools? This is an interesting question. Uh, idiots, I'm going to say idiots. Nicole? That is correct. 
correct. That is correct. Very <laughs> well deduced. Nice job. Fun fact, Bob Bingham, who played Caiaphas, the head Pharisee in the first U.S. concert tour, the original Broadway cast, the original French cast, and in the 1973 film version, retired from show business and became the manager of a zipper factory and is probably much happier. As one does. Yes. <laughs> As one. I mean, zipper factories got to be got to be managed. Got to get those zippers out yeah. all the time. That was yeah. literally my first guess of what he retired to do. <laughs> I'm sorry, Alexander, didn't give you the chance to answer a question we did not ask. All right, here's question number four, Alexander. You still have your two hints available. Between the original Broadway production and three Broadway revivals, Jesus Christ Superstar has been nominated for eight Tony Awards. How many has it won? I, I, I think, oh gosh. I know that Andrew Lloyd Webber won something for like being a promising composer. Oh, uh, I'd like a hint. Nicole, how about that first hint? The hint is it's won exactly as many Tony Awards as I have. That doesn't help me. Okay. No, Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to say zero. Nicole? <laughs> that is correct. Uh, yes, very nice. <laughs> that would have been so if I'd been wrong and you had That would have been a big insult to I Nicole, know. huh? Yeah. It would have been a really big insult. I was so tense over here. Yes, Nicole, I'm sorry to bring up a, a sore subject for you, but we appreciate your playing along. Thank uh, you. that's right. It won zero. Fun fact, although Rice and Weber lost the Tony Award for Best Original Score, Weber did win, as Alexandra referenced, the Drama Desk Award for Most Promising Composer. So impressive. Yeah, and now he's given a school of rock. Yeah. All right, you're four and for four. And that's Yes, well, you know, there, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a rich tapestry of, of different productions from Sir Weber. All right, Alexander, you're four for four. You have a chance to go five for five. If you can get this question correct, you do still have your second hint available. Okay. In the movie, the role of Peter is played by Philip Tubus. Unlike Bob Bingham, Tubus did not leave show business, but he did not continue as a star of musical theater. In what genre did he gain his greatest notoriety? I would like my hint. Okay. Nicole, how about that second hint? The hint is if your grandparents thought that Jesus Christ Superstar was too racy and controversial, they really didn't want to see his other movies. My mind immediately went to pornography, but it can't be pornography. Or can it be? Nicole? Or can it be? It is. That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I love any time someone's mind immediately goes to pornography. <laughs> Me too. Fun fact, according to the Internet Adult Film Database, definitely a site I have not visited before today, Philip Tubus, using the name Paul Thomas, has appeared in over 800 adult films and directed over 300 more. He is in the Adult Video News Hall of Fame and the X-Rated Critics Organization Hall of Fame. Hot dog. That is awesome. Wait, he was Peter? So before the cock crows three times. Yes, there, there, there perhaps is a theme. Hot, hot dog indeed, Alexandra. Uh, <laughs> the Dirk Diggler of musicals. <laughs> yeah, de sorry, denied three times before the cock crows once. Yeah, before the cock crows once. It could do something with that. Anyway, yeah, that, co <laughs> that cock crowed a lot. It crowed, it crowed a lot. It crowed, it crowed 800 times, it looks like, in adult <laughs> films at least. At least, Nicole. At least. Because they did multiple takes and multiple scenes. Oh, Let's yeah, that's right. Really of think what he really through. wanted to do was direct. Alexandra, you are five for five. Congratulations. <laughs> Woohoo! You obviously did very well in your quiz, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. <gasps> we'll be bringing on an expert to discuss your response. Mm. Alexandra, the title character of Jesus Christ Superstar has been played by many iconic performers in many different formats. For up to three points, First, on the original 1970 concept album, Jesus was portrayed by Ian Gillen, also known as the lead singer of what pioneering rock band formed in 1968? 
Next, in the 2018 TV version, who played Jesus and earned the E in his EGOT for producing the show, and who appeared in the show on Broadway on tour and starred as Jesus in the 1973 movie version of the show. Well, Ted Neely is number three, John Legend's number two, and number one is a band. Yes. And I know in Sweden, one of the people who became ABBA, <laughs> she was in it, but all my encyclopedic knowledge of the Swedish production is really coming <laughs> stab me in the back by filling my head with useless information. <laughs> yes, not, not, not useful, pivotal information like this. Uh, how about just a favorite band that might have been uh, around at that time? The Monkees. All right, Nicole is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Nicole, who do we have tonight? Tonight, we have a Golden Globe-nominated actor, singer, and musician who is currently touring with the 50th anniversary film celebration of Jesus Christ Superstar, the superstar himself. It's Ted Neely! Ah! Hello, Ted Neely! Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Listen to that beautiful voice you still have. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we'll talk about your amazing longtime association with Jesus Christ Superstar in a moment, but uh, my goodness, what an amazing career that you've had on stage and music and TV and in movies. Um, you've worked with artists including Ray Charles, Tina Turner, Leon Russell, Richie Havens, David Foster, Billy Preston, Neil Sedaka, and Meatloaf. And you actually got to hang out with comedy legends like Robin Williams and Richard Pryor. Oh, we had parties all the time. Okay. <laughs> and we were always performing nearby. Anytime that we were in the same town, we just got together and had a great time. Wonderful people. Man, those must have been some parties. Absolutely. <laughs> of the music legends that I mentioned or, or even others that I haven't, uh, who stands out in your memory as, as uh, I can't believe I got to work with this person? Oh, my goodness. It was I, – I got to work with uh, the Beatles. I got to work with John Legend for a few minutes just talking okay. about things. And Tina Turner, as you know, she's recently moved upstairs. I yep. got to work with her. She was wonderful. Absolutely wow. magnificent. Very, very cool. Well, you're currently on tour with the 50th anniversary film celebration of Jesus Christ Superstar. First of all, 50 years. Uh, I mean, just as an observer, that seems crazy to me. What is it? What is that like as somebody who has participated in the? Well, the miracle is uh, I'm only 33. Yeah, wow, that is. <laughs> How do we forget? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I just can't yeah. believe that it's lasted this long. And every yeah. time we're doing screenings all over America now, mm -hmm. and no matter where we go, people come in and there's three to four generations of, of people that they pass this on to their families. Every time they have a child, the baby is watching it while they're sucking their little. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most things they say to me when people come up and we talk after we do the screenings is, I saw this when I was three years old. Mm. Or I saw it when I was nine years old, and I've been singing the songs ever since. So it has stayed with the families forever, and I have so many wonderful friends that I've met face-to-face -face because of that. That's wonderful. Uh, now, of course, it's not just a screening that people uh, will see when they go to these events. Uh, tell us a little bit about what else happens there and some of the special guests that you've been able to bring with you. Well, we Bob Bingham. And Kurt Yajin, Bob Bingham was Caiaphas. Jesus is cool. And Kurt Yajin was Annas. He's a fool. You know? <laughs> and Yvonne Elliman has been with me. Uh, we've just recently had the conductor, uh, Rob Iscove, and the photographer on set for the whole thing. Any photograph you've ever seen from Superstar, David James took that photograph. So it is like having a wonderful reunion every time we gather. And, and it's wonderful to hear that if necessary, you could perform all the parts yourself. Apparently. Well, yeah, I, I well, see. I auditioned for Judas, 
And when I did, the director that I had worked with in Hair prior to Superstar, Tom O'Horgan, he was sitting there in the audience with two of the producers. And when I finished singing Heaven on Their Minds, he ran out of the seat, came upstairs, and I'm thinking, I got the part. I got to be Judas. He said, Ted, that was wonderful. Could you come back tomorrow and sing The Other Guy? Oh, no. <laughs> the other guy. I've been Jesus. singing The Other Guy ever since. <laughs> the Other Guy. What do you notice about the show or about the movie or your performance now? nowadays that maybe you didn't observe back then? Well, it's I've seen it so many times, mm-hmm. and the print we have right now is absolutely magnificent, the best one ever, re- redesigned for voice and for, for visuals. And the mm-hmm. thing is, I see things all the time that I didn't see before, and that's because when Universal put out the first print, it was printed from a 35 millimeter. Well, it was shot in 70 millimeter. Oh, wow. Now we have that 70 millimeter in and it's just amazing. So much larger. The, it's beautifully in color. Everything about it is wonderful. And I believe it or not, I see things new every time. I learn things about the characters. It's just Norman Jewison, who was our genius director, mm. made something happen. And he's the reason this has lasted all this time. Very cool. Of course, the show was hugely controversial. Can you give our listeners an idea of just how profound an effect it had on the culture and and the kind of emotions that it called up in people? Well, uh, in the Broadway show, from the opening night until we went out on the tour, every performance was protested in the streets at 51st and Broadway, the Mark Hellinger Theater. And there was never any violence, but they did not want us to go into the theater to make to do the show and we would have to push our way literally through the crowds to get to the backstage door to get into the theater and if I we were told by the production company don't say anything to anybody because we don't know who's going to just smack you right in the face so mm. we just look and uh, if I ever had a eye contact with either a man or a woman I would just say may I ask a question please oh sure what and I'd say well if you have you seen our show no, mm-hmm. we're not going into that den of iniquity. Yeah, no. uh, is there anything else? Uh, well, we hate the title, Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. That's that's absolutely anti-religion. Is there anything else? Yeah, we hear Jesus sings, and he sings with a rock and roll band. Jesus didn't sing. And I wanted to say, were you there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have I have high quality audio recordings of all of Jesus talking, and he never right. sings exactly. So, if a person would stay with me long enough, I would say, "Would you do me a favor, please? Come in tonight as my guest. Watch the mm. show. Wait for me in the lobby after we've got the show done. I'll come out, and you can tell me what you don't like. Maybe we can change that for the better." And their expression would change instantly. Mm. You would do this? I said, "Yes, we're here to entertain you, not to." F- hurt you. So if they stayed, just watch the show. I go out in the lobby. The minute I walk through the door, they went, we love the show, man. We're going to come back and bring our families. Wow. Imagine wow. a time in America when you could change people's minds by talking to them reasonably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because of that circumstance, when Norman Jewison finished shooting the film, we mm. talked at length about ideas of how we might find somebody who could get the, some, some sort of inspiration around the world about this film. And he said, what do you think, Ted? I think I'm going to try to set up a meeting with the Pope. And at that time, it was Pope Paul VI. Well, Pope Paul said, bring it on over. So Norman and Pope Paul sat in one beautiful room, screening room, and watched the film. And Norman said, Ted, I, I, I thought... 
he was just staring. He never took his eyes off the film. And when he finished, I, I thought he was going to say what you said in the temple. Get out! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, Mr. Jewison, I love your film. I think this film has the possibility of bringing more people to religion, to faith around the world than anything ever has before. You have my endorsement. Wow. Wow. I had no idea. That's an incredible story. That that goes on the DVD cover for sure. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can get a blurb from the Pope. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Pope said two thumbs up. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm so it's so wonderful to hear these stories. Let's get to the reason we brought you here. As far as our game is concerned, you heard the question that we asked of Alexander. First, we wanted to know Ian Gillen, who was on the original concept album as Jesus was the lead singer of what pioneering rock band? Nicole, what did Alexandra say? Alexandra said the monkeys. And Ted? Deep purple. So oh, close. No! <laughs> yes. Sorry, that the monkeys were not the pioneering rock band. No point there. But next we <laughs> wanted to know in the 2018 television version who played Jesus and earned the E in his EGOT for producing the show. Nicole, what did Alexandra say? Alexandra said John Legend. We know it's her favorite production, Ted. Mm -hmm. John Legend. That is correct. A point for Alexandra on that one. And finally wanted to know who could it be who appeared in the show on Broadway, on tour, and starred as Jesus in the 1973 movie. Nicole, what did Alexandra say? Alexandra said the one and only Ted Neely. And sir? Did I really do that? I think you did. Yes, we have it on film. That that we have evidence of yes. your recording. Hey, you're the guy that you're did the thing. guy. Yes. yes. That that Jesus we know did sing. We've got uh, receipt we've got the receipts. Alexandra, while well, we have Ted Neely here, anything else that you would like to ask or say to him? Oh my gosh. Hello. Thank you for being Jesus. <laughs> I'm happy to know you love the show. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I I should say like the movie went without saying. I didn't even occur to me that I could yeah. Yeah, oh. well we're screening all around America for the 50th anniversary, so if we get anywhere where you live, come say hello. I absolutely will. I've been as as you said inflicting it on my baby since I'm like <laughs> you know what? It's Easter season, that means it's Jesus Christ Superstar all around the house. <laughs> well, you can go, you can go to my early. website anytime, tednealy.com, and it'll tell you where we're going to be and when we're going to be there. So if we come near you, please come come join us. I would love that. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. And how do you hit the note? <laughs> oh, my, my mom told everybody that the one that she they asked her, when did Ted start singing? And she said, the day he was born. The, mm. They picked him up and popped his little rear, and he went, ah! <laughs> For our listeners who are hearing this show as we release it, want to let you know that some of the dates coming up are July 22nd in Davenport, Iowa, July 25th right here in Los Angeles, and July 26th nearby in North Hollywood, and then July 27th in Claremont, California. All of the tour dates and all the info about Ted Neely can be found. Where, Ted? TedNeely.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. What a special treat. Everyone, it's Ted Neely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Wonderful. You. Awesome. That was awesome. So cool. It really was. That was so I've cool. I've never talked to Jesus before. All right. What is our score as we go into the final round, Nicole? So going into our final round, George Hahn has eight and a half points and Alexandra Petri also has eight and a half points. Oh, a very nice comeback by Alexandra. We've got a tie game. And now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read 10 statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with George and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, please answer each statement with true or false. Here we begin. George, the turn of the millennium was over 20 years ago. 
True. Correct. Alexandra, to mark the turn of the millennium, some people made time capsules. True. That is correct. George, there's a time capsule in New York called the New York Times capsule. True. Correct. Alexandra, the New York Times capsule is buried underground. True. That is incorrect. No, it's actually above ground on display at the American Museum of Natural History. No. George, that (laughs) capsule is meant to be opened in the year 3000. False. Incorrect. No, it really is. Alexandra, that capsule contains a beanie baby. True. That is correct. George, that capsule contains a chia pet. False. Incorrect. Alexandra, that capsule contains a condom. False. Incorrect. George, that capsule contains a child's tooth. False. Incorrect. <laughs> no, those, <laughs> those poor people in the year 3000. Ah! Alexandra, that capsule contains a David Letterman top 10 list. True? That is correct. George, the top 10 list was top 10 things you shouldn't put in a time capsule. <laughs> True. Uh, incorrect. And finally, Alexandra, if it were, number one would be either a child's tooth or a condom. True. That is uh, incorrect. Sure. Who who, who cares? Right. We're not going to count those last two. I want to thank George Hahn and Alexander Petri as Nicole tabulates the final score. Nicole, are you ready to announce the winner on today's show? I am. At the end of the game, George Hahn has 10 and a half points and Alexandra Petri has 11 and a half points. Oh, very nice Ah. game for both of you. But congratulations, Alexandra. You are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. What will you do with your championship? Honestly... Nothing's going to beat meeting Jesus, so I'm I'm just going to go drink some wine. Excellent. Uh, It used to be water, but I met Jesus. Yes, an excellent excellent plan for all of us involved. All right, I want to give everyone here a chance to mention or promote anything they might have coming up. George, where can people find out what you're up to? I can be found at georgehan.com, my website. I'm also at Mm airmail.news for my rule of three column. And you can find me also on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Excellent. We're so happy that you joined us today. George Hahn, everyone. And Alexander Petri, where can people find you? You can find me, my columns on the Washington Post website. I'm also at alexanderpetri.com if you want like a more intricate boutique website. I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, at this username is terrible. And uh, <laughs> experimenting with Blue Sky. So... Say hello there if you're if you're also fleeing the sinking ship. Well, we're happy that you joined our floating ship, I'm hoping. <laughs> Alexandra Petri, thanks so much for being here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my hosting partner today has been the lovely Nicole Thurman. Thank you so much for joining today, Nicole. Where can people find what you're up to? Oh, my gosh. First of all, thank you so much for having me. People can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nicole Thurman. It's N-I-C-C-O-L-E. Uh, And that's where you can find me. (laughs) Excellent. We're glad we found you today. Thank you again for joining us as my hosting partner today. And me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith or on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Nicole Thurman, George Hahn, Alexander Petri, Katerina Marino, and Ted Neely. And thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's happening again. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com, and buy our T-shaped shirt and mug-shaped mug at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a great review on your favorite podcast platform, like K.L. Walton did on Apple Podcasts. He, she, or they said, I absolutely love this podcast. Every time I hear the opening bars of that theme song, I feel pure pure happiness. I do that opening riff on my steering wheel every single time. I may be weird, but it's a good weird. Thanks, K.L. Walton. That's not a good weird. That's the best weird. 
Nicole? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the world. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun's senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needeff. Quiz assistance provided by Brian Phillips and Clint Tauscher. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Dave Bianchi and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Sandra Chalmers and Camille Jackson at the Artist Partnership, William Scarlett at WW Norton and Company, Frank Munoz at Frunk Rock Productions, and Faith Saley. I've been Nicole Thurman. Let's go watch Jesus Christ Superstar. And ride a horse. At the same time? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.